Sci-Fi for Me Radio presents Timothy Harvey, Jason Hunt. This is H2O. Hello, folks. Welcome to H2O here on Sci-Fi for Me Radio. I am Timothy Harvey. And I am Jason Hunt. And we are drinking coffee, as yes. is our want. Mm-hmm. A word that is not used often enough, as far as I'm concerned. I got some bad news today. Uh-oh. Completely expected. Yeah. But I got bad news. Mm-hmm. We did not get the space to live stream from Fan Expo Dallas. Oh, that's too bad. For those of you who don't know, we live streamed the Hugo Awards when they were here in Kansas City. This the entire Worldcon. We were there, and yes. we had a great time. And it was very cool because it's a very different kind of convention from the usual. What a lot of con- it's a literary convention versus mm-hmm. uh, uh, all genre kind of convention that you see and hear about mostly these days. But we live streamed it. It was experimental. It was a big thing for us. We tried some new stuff. It worked. Yeah, it worked on some really ways to our well. surprise. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this didn't burn to the ground. Yes, <laughs> we survived. Nobody died. Um, but we were, you know, and we've had people who've expressed interest in us coming out. To their conventions, and yeah, we have specifically been invited to Dragon Con, right? And we've had the folks here. And we have two conventions coming up here in Kansas City that we're talking to because they're interested in the idea as well. And we then, you know, Fan Expo, Fan of Dallas yeah. discussion was there, but it's also a thing where it's one of those new things mm-hmm. where they look at you funny and go, "I beg pardon, yeah, you want to do what?" <laughs> I tell you what, let's let's throw this out. H two O at sci fi for me dot com. If you would, if, if you're involved in a convention, if you're an organizer or you know an organizer, you know somebody who's involved in putting together a convention, mm-hmm. a comic con, a comic book convention, a science fiction convention, a horror convention, wherever, uh, anywhere in the contiguous United States, right? We'll, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll qualify that. Uh, probably in the Midwest, uh, we'll qualify it that way. But you know, you, it, you never know. Um, and if there's an interest, I mean, we, we're we're looking at wanting to do this when we can, where we can. Right. So you know, whether it's here in Kansas City or Atlanta at Dragon Con or you know Dallas or Houston or Chicago or Salt Lake or wherever. And so, if because basically, if you didn't get a chance, we have a lot of this stuff up on, on the website. You can find yes. lots of this on our YouTube channel and. And it's out there. A lot of a lot of the interviews and things like that that we did. Some we had them. over fifty interviews that we conducted at WorldCon. Right, and those went out either live mm-hmm. or they went out very very quickly. In some cases, not so quickly because there's a lot <laughs> uh, of interviews. I yeah, mean, it's, it's a lot a to do to, to to build the the credits and package all this stuff out to get it out in the world. But yep. we were able to put out a ton of really cool stuff for fans of the genre, the genres. Yep. Uh, out into the world very, very quickly, and it was really cool. Because if you were tuned in, then you had something that you couldn't have if you didn't have a ticket. Right. You were able to actually have a sense, you know, to talk to and listen to some of these amazing writers who have shaped the genre in, in amazing ways. And it's it's one of these things, it's not, I mean, it's new to Comic-Cons. Right. It is not new in terms of you know, the the idea, the concept itself, because if you if you watch Twitch, right, the gaming conventions they've been doing this for a long time, 
Sure. And, and it's it's like you're watching ESPN. I mean, mm-hmm. they've got the whole full-blown setup with the studios and the desk sure, and the headsets yeah, yeah. and the uh-huh. microphones and the cameras and the graphics and all this other stuff. And um, so anytime there's a big gaming cur- tournament, you know, right. you go to Twitch. It was right there live and, you know, it's all of this stuff. And, you know, play-by-play and commentary. It was funny. I was watching one a couple of weeks ago. And I don't remember where it was, but it was a it was a gaming tournament, mm-hmm. and the two people that they had calling the tournament were younger, we'll say, sure, you know, in their twenties uh, yeah. or whatnot, mm-hmm. and they were wearing sport coats and ties. They were doing the oh wow! They, I mean, they yeah, they went all out, but it was. I got the impression that somebody else had tied the ties for them <laughs> because they looked I you know I and I don't know these guys uh, you know and and they did a good job calling the calling the tournament don't right. don't get me wrong I mean, they they knew their stuff and you know they knew it. but they did look like they were playing dress up mm, sure you know it's like we got dad's coat and tie let's go put on a show and it really did cuz they're tied you know they, I mean you know, four in hand, Windsor knots on the ties, yeah, yeah. but they were kind of loose and a little bit bigger than they probably should have oh. been. They weren't tight. Well, you know, tying was, a tie is actually a skill. It is. It's a, becoming a lost art. And I can tie a bow tie. Oh, can you? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I I don't own any clip-on bow ties. I own four real bow ties that you have to tie, mm. or you can just leave them around your neck because I've been told they make good handles. Wrong kind of show. Well, <laughs> just saying. Um, Somebody but, wants to choke you or something, or, right? Yeah, that is, that is yeah. one use. The, I was thinking of the more pleasant one. Uh, but, yeah, no, it's the – there's been sort of a, a game gameplay, and probably because that word right in there is built in. It's gameplay. So it's the competition aspect, yep. the, and there's a monetary aspect to, game, to, to gaming now. Mm-hmm. It's been around oh, yeah. for a while, but, I mean, it's, it, it's definitely something now – that works well for making that leap that you don't necessarily think of when in terms of conventions. And, of course, yeah. with some of the conventions, you've gotten to the point now where if your your whole goal is to make it from one end of the room to the other end of the room and get your autograph signed and buy that thing and get out because there's no yeah. room to move. Uh, luckily, we have we've had the things like Worldcon and, and Casey Comic-Con and... And uh, uh, there, you can still do that. You can still move around here, and you have a chance to sit there and talk to a writer or an actor or a cosplayer or an artist, and and have that interaction. So we're very lucky in that regard, and we'd like to do more of it. Yes, we would. And and one of the things, actually, from from um, uh, what you know, talking to people at Worldcon. You know, this idea that it's never been done before—that was the thing that really floored me really because it was one of these things where people had just never even considered right the idea of wait you want to do what you want to do you want to do what (laughs) and the idea was pretty pretty interesting to everybody but i don't think they quite were able to to wrap their heads around it so much because it was just such a such a weird 
Well, theme. I think that once you start getting into the logistics of how to build it, so what oh, has to yeah. happen? What has to happen before you get anywhere near the actual convention itself? Things that have to be arranged in advance, some of which we will not tell you because mm-hmm. we don't want people running mm-hmm. up and doing this mm-hmm. without us. Um, but there ends up being this thing where you know once you once you lay this out for folks, there are logistical requirements yeah. that it it can get in the way or it can be really easy. It depends on how things are set up. It's like anything else. Planning is everything, you yeah. know, and getting those, getting that initial stuff set up long before the convention is anywhere near to opening its doors. There's a there's a guy named Walter Day mm-hmm. who's well known among the online gaming and the PC gaming mm-hmm. and whatnot because he developed an online statistician site, so basically a way of keeping track of scores for sure. everybody right. on all these games. And apparently is fairly well known in the gaming community. I wasn't aware of him until we ran into him at Worldcon. And he saw what we were doing out there and he said, uh, this is this is a new thing. But, you know, you know, like I said, it's been done on the gaming side for a mm-hmm. long time. And he said, you guys are doing something really cool here. You know, a first time type of thing. This sure. is this is the this is the wave of the future. Like, yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, and we had people asking us, "Is this the new model?" Uh, and we would very much like for it to be the new model. Right. We, you know, I think it's it's an opportunity for uh, it's an opportunity for authors and writers and artists and and editors and you know publishers and actors and whoever to to do some promotion right then and there. Yeah, because uh, I think so many of these things. When, okay, so, something about like WorldCon where you have a week. Essentially, you yeah. have a week's worth of, of time to spend. Mm-hmm. So it's a little different when your convention is only two days or you know two and a half days or yeah. whatever. So, I mean, obviously, if you can get information out on that Friday night and get people in the door Saturday and Sunday, um, that becomes a financial benefit for the convention. Because I have news, folks, if you weren't aware of this, aware of this um, conventions are not the biggest money makers a lot of money is made <laughs> but how much that right back out yeah. yeah so it's it's a lot of conventions lose money every yeah. year well and the other the other part of that the challenge is that when when we talk to promoters mm-hmm. and we you know this was part of the conversation we had with the Dallas people and we've had this conversation with Kansas City all the time is that you know when we're trying to get interviews mm-hmm. with some of these celebrities? Now oh, they're here for the fans. They're here for the fans. They're here for the fans. Right. And my thinking has always been, well, we're fans, and what about the fans in, say, Nicaragua or sure. you know, uh, London? You know, mm-hmm. people who can't make it to these, or or somebody who is, you know, they have an internet connection, but they. They don't travel. Yeah. There's a lot of fans who, for whether they can't afford it or health reasons or just, you know, they got kids and they, you know, they're not, whatever it is. I mean, there's mm-hmm. a lot of different reasons why people just can't go to the convention. Right. And now some know. of these conventions have started to do some live streaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know, I know San Diego's doing it. Fan Expo Dallas is done, you know, Fan sure. Expo does it, does some of their stuff. Um, I think Dragon Con is doing some, but it's internal. Right, it's streaming to the hotels, the host hotels. Yeah. So it's all it's it's. It reminds me of I don't know. This is gonna this is gonna sound you know back back in the day mm. of uh, college radio. 
Yeah. Uh-huh. Colleges, there were, there were a couple of different ways that colleges would do radio stations. One was to actually have an FM or an AM licensed radio station that was an actual for real radio station you could listen to on your radio. And there are some alert. colleges that do that. A lot of them, a lot of colleges do have deals with NPR because yeah. they're able to, to work out. Uh, and then you have the some colleges that have their radio station just on campus. Mm-hmm. So it's all hardwired to the buildings on the campus, and that's the only place where you hear the college station. Mm-hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. And and that is every every time I hear about these events streaming to their hotels. Yeah. That's what I think about. It. It's just, oh, it's like college radio. Because it's very internal. Mm-hmm. It's very limited in its scope and its scale, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you're basically catering, you're, you're basically preaching to the choir at that point. You're you're providing content to people who are already there. Sure. Who have the option to be at Hall H or, you know, uh, uh, this you know presentation from Paramount or, mm-hmm. you know, what, whatever is going on. There's there's that opportunity, you know, if I'm at the hotel, I have a chance to actually get to wherever it is that I want to see a panel. Right. And and for the folks who might be thinking that, that the argument against doing something like this is, of course, that these people want you to buy the pass to get in to see the panel or the screening or whatever it is. That's not what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about live streaming from the floor of the convention itself. So all these things, all the the, the many, many perks that ticket price gets you. Getting in to see that that panel of actors, or getting mm. to see the, the you know the the writers of your favorite show, getting to talk about you know sneak preview of what's coming up, or or just all there's so many different parts of this. The reality is, is there's just no way for anybody to do everything, and nobody would want right. to go live stream the entire convention. Well, and the other thing too, well, you is, could do it, but you'd have to basically have a paywall. Oh yeah, yeah, you could do yeah, but you know, and that could be yeah, you know, that could be a, the wave of the future. And that's a model too, but because there are some, and I've even seen you know we've got on our list of events, we have a couple of them that are completely online conventions. Mm-hmm. Like this weekend, everything's online here, whatever, or online collections of short stories or or competitions for for oh, writing sure, course, art yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, but what we can do with with what we do. Is yes, we're on the floor. We can show everything that's going on, all the craziness. You know, people walking around and the cosplayers and interview people as they walk by and they come to our booth and they talk to us and whatnot. But then it also gives us an opportunity. We can put people in the panels to right. take notes, mm-hmm. to write up articles. Because not only did we have video from Worldcon uh, with a bunch of interviews with people like David Brin and. Um, um, Oh, who else? I'm I'm drawing a blank now. I mean, there's so many. <laughs> no, of them. yeah, yeah. There's, yeah. There's fifty plus people. Yeah, uh, Alan Dean Foster. We've right. got to talk to Alan Dean Foster. That was so cool. We got to walk around it. We got to we got to hang out with Alan Dean Foster. I know that, that was, was so fun. But yeah, those kind of things. And then, um, yeah, you made David Brin late to his panel. By the way, David Brin. Yeah, well, he David was, Brin made his made himself uh, late because he just said I yes. wasn't going to tell him to stop talking. It's David Brin. So we had those, but also we were able to get into the panel and, you know, take notes and write up articles mm-hmm. about various different panels and do panel reports. And that's some of the things that we'd like to do some more of sure, as of well. Yeah. So all that to say, if you've got a convention that you'd like to see us at, mm-hmm. and if there's a way that we can do the live stream. Now, there's two things that we have to run into every time we do one of these things is, is power. Yeah. 
and Wi-Fi. Yeah, because those the are the signal, two challenges. The signal has to get out, and if you've ever been to a convention Can't center, the you know that it, most convention centers are giant blocks of concrete. It doesn't matter if they're in a hotel. No. Yeah. A beautiful, beautiful, stunning hotel with all the amenities and just you're in there, you walk inside and you go, wow, it's a giant concrete block. You know what I would like to see? <laughs> and I may suggest this a one. Giant concrete blocks, blocks. What, what they should do, and I don't, I don't, I, the first, the first convention that does this gets, you know, 10 points Gryffindor. Um, decorate the entire outer wall of the convention floor space as a Faraday cage <laughs> and and acknowledge the fact that you are walking into a giant Faraday cage and your signal will not get out we, because that's essentially what you're doing. We've had moments trying to live tweet from <laughs> inside uh, a panel or you got an, you've got an actor coming in and they're talking about, uh, you know, their work and, they have, you know, an hour and a half, two hours with this actor and it just does great stuff, right? Yeah. And you cannot get a signal. And you're, it doesn't matter what network you're on. You're like, I'm in a giant concrete box. So, yeah, so that's a huge challenge. And we succeeded with that challenge. Mm-hmm. And there are ways to it. But it changes from venue to venue, from market to market. It's not yes. a one-size-fits-all solution, unfortunately. And if any of you work for a, <laughs> a uh, yeah, wireless exactly. company. Because <clears throat> we would happily, because we were, well, we had, we had a sponsor. Yes. And our sponsor was? Sprint. Sprint. And, and and they yeah they provided us with the Wi-Fi connection and it worked really well mm-hmm. as far as as far as we can tell I mean the signal went out right uh, we had a couple of a couple of times where there was a little bit of a drop but I think that was because there was so much uh, Wi-Fi activity in the building at the sure, time sure but the, one of the issues that we run into is a lot of convention centers have contracts with specific carriers mm-hmm. and that can change things quite a bit because. Um, you might not have a good signal with that particular carrier, and that, but that's who you got. That's who you get to work with because that's right. that's what the contract says, and that's that's fine. That's a business deal, and you of course respect those things. But it gets interesting. Oh yeah, so yeah, a lot of inside baseball stuff. But we we would like to do that kind of thing a little bit more. We would like to be sure. at um, other other events with our cameras and our live video and microphones and computers yeah and and we actually had a fairly i'm sure if you've if you're listening to us then you probably listened to us before and you may have heard us talk about before and after when we actually did it but we got photos up of of our setup on the website Mm -hmm. we got all kinds of things where you could actually see what we did we were never able to get certain people to come over and talk to us no but certain people had demands on their time <laughs> that were above and beyond. They were like, I don't know. <laughs> no, there's no way. Well, and the other thing, too, is, you know, again, you run into that that whole, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. You're doing what? Yeah. Wait, wait, you're doing what? You guys are, you guys are live? Mm-hmm. And the, the idea of doing a live interview is really new in yeah. this circle. Um, you know, the gamers not so much, but in, in the literary circles and the actors are now of course actors sometimes they'll do, you know, live via satellite type of things. Sure, or something sure. like Good Morning America or something like that. Well and you look but at you look at somebody from a, a literary convention, the there's a 
there's a remove from you know certainly you got authors go out and do signings mm-hmm. you know and they're interacting with their fans one on one all the time that way and they've got you know a lot most authors seem to have a website these days or a blog where they're interacting with their readers often in real time we could live stream though that. But basically, you know, for but there's a there's a difference between being a writer. There's a disconnect already there because you've spent a year or two years or ten years or twenty years or however long it took you to write your book, mm-hmm. and you get it out there and it gets published. By the time you finished writing it, by the time it actually hits the shelf, can be you know a month, six months, a year, and then your readers read it, and then then you get feedback from your readers. So there's this there's there's all these different ways to put a space yeah. in between you and your readers. And, and between the reader and the writer, and you know the fans, the, the the interconnectedness of things now, things like the internet for all all the things that you can maybe not be a fan of, the fact that you have that ability to tweet to your author and get a response, mm-hmm. you know, and and your author could can tweet to their fans and get a response or, or talk to interact with them on Facebook. This is all great, but in terms of Having a live interview, that's just not, again, there are, there's a handful of authors, you mm. know, when Stephen King has a new book come out, you might get a live interview with him on, you know. Yeah, because people know who he is. Exactly. And, but you look at some of the folks, you know, The Expanse, incredibly, you know, getting great reviews. Right. Uh, you know, smart science fiction, very, very well done. The name of the author is a pseudonym. For two people. For two people. Yeah. And so the idea that you're all going to get, you know, and today we're going to have, wait a minute. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is, you know, it's it's a lot easier when you talk about um, adaptations of books. Mm-hmm. You know, I yes, we can talk to Neil Gaiman. People know who Neil Gaiman is. Right. But when Peter Jackson does a movie based on a Neil Gaiman book... Then people are going to want to talk to Peter Jackson. You know, you, it's that it's that Hollywood component. I don't know if that's a good. Well, I think, it's, I think that's a, a, that's a bad example because Neil Gaiman is a is. I mean, Neil Gaiman would yes, they would talk he's, to. Him, but, he's oh, about as close as you can get to a rock star, right? But I was, in, but in as an example, okay. Rhonda U. Daly. Sure, she's a she's a an author down in Texas. She's. Fairly new to the game, she's published you know th- three or four books at this point, so she's not as well known as Neil Gaiman. But let's say she gets picked out. You know, Paramount decides they want to make a, a movie based on one of her books, and suddenly you know there's all of this stuff. Well, we've seen this in other in other adaptations where people are always talking to the directors and the producers and the actors, and they don't ever really talk to the authors of the source material. Well, and some of that is going to that's come much. out of the <laughs> some of that's going to come out of the fact that if you have ever been on a film set and you are the author of anything, you have plenty this, of time to do interviews. Well, yeah, because they don't want you on the <laughs> film set most of the time. Uh, in fact, there have been authors that have been banned mm-hmm. and kicked off film sets because mm-hmm. there is so occasionally a disconnect in the mindset between an author telling their story. And a filmmaker, Fil- making making a movie is kind of like getting watching, well, rather appropriately behind the scenes of watching a law get made or sausage get made. Yeah, do not look at it; you will not feel well when you're done. <laughs> um, and and it's shocking it's for a lot of people. And adaptational changes 
are, are a reality of especially right. when you're dealing for a source material. You know, a 400 page book does not translate well to a two hour movie. Uh, most of the time, right? There's something get something done got changed, and sometimes it can be for the better, and often it's not, or it's just different. And sometimes authors are um, less than happy about having their work be changed mm-hmm. right in front of their eyes. And in those particular cases, when you've got interviews set up for something like that, you're promoting the work. You're promoting it's it's done. It's right. out there. Go buy it. Go buy the ticket. Go buy the book. Go buy the DVD or whatever. Sure. Whereas if you're at an event, if you're at a convention, and this is another objection that we've run into all of this is – you know, um, why should I help get a get an interview for you? Because it's not going to help sell any tickets because right. they're already here, and there's no there's no advance word. You sure. know, getting the interview at the event is too late to do any good benefit for the event, mm-hmm. which I can understand, sure. but it's. Frustrating, I guess, is the well, word. Well, I think I think that's one of the advantages of having Worldcon be our first one to do it at, because that's less of a concern. Yeah, because the author, authors do take a longer view, and Worldcon is every year in a different place. It's not like you're looking at well, if you know, maybe if we'd set this up last year for this year, it's like yeah. no, next they're going to be in Helsinki next year. By the way, if anybody wants to sponsor we our trip to Helsinki, go to Helsinki. <laughs> I've or, or if you know, barring that, we can go to Helsinki. We could go to is it San Juan? Is where the I the Nasvik so. is? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, San Juan, Puerto Rico. So I think you can you can look at it. Um, if you're if you're involved with a convention and you're thinking about that instant gratification, which is completely understandable. Um, yeah, taking the longer view, which which authors often have the ability to do, because books are not. You might they you always might, have to. Yeah, you can't. You may not sell your book right away. How many authors would you hear about? You know, they wrote book after book after story after story, and nobody bought it until suddenly they did, and it's like you're an overnight success. I'm still, no. I'm still waiting for that. <laughs> I I, yeah, I've, I've got a book on Amazon, or where is it? Yeah, Amazon, yeah. and it's just sitting there. I think I've maybe sold ten copies. Twelve copies, maybe. Well, considering uh, uh, the number of books that are on Amazon, selling ten copies is not actually a thing I to know. sneer at. I mean, there's the got some good can, reviews. There you go. So, I think it's I think it's important to recognize that so much of what we do when it comes to entertainment and the long view and short view of entertainment, the idea somehow there's this okay, the Netflix model where you basically put out the entire show at once. Yeah. Okay really works for them and nobody thought it was going to oh there are still people that think that it's going to implode well, and, at and, some point and it might but it's been very very successful for them at least it appears so to far be. Yeah. yeah and so everyone's going okay well but there's also this you, you see the reverse of that is how many i saw uh, uh our friend chris bilsma actor friend, mm-hmm. yep. uh, who's here in town sometimes and often not uh because he's out working the, he post posted something on Facebook today. I, I think it was today. We basically said that ninety eight percent of the sequels that were released in twenty sixteen made less money than the film before that, than the previous film in the in the series. It doesn't surprise me. And um, I I didn't see a source, and, and I didn't I didn't have time to dive into it and see what what the thing is. But 
there's an I, there's a idea that often shows up in Hollywood that you don't see in books and television as much, mm-hmm. which is that film was amazing. We made we made bazillions of dollars. Get the sequel out now. Yeah. And suddenly you have an inferior sequel rolled out. You're like, whoa, 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 what happened here? Right. And you can usually tell if it's like, you know, it's a year later or a year and a half later. You know, got to get it out now. It has to be out now. And the quality, you know, quality suffers. Yeah. Unless it's something like Back to the Future 2 and 3 where you do it all together at once in one big package. Sure, but you also look And you already have the plan. Remember then that that was a fairly rare thing to do. That's true. Um, in fact, yeah. I can't remember. That wasn't the first one to do what, what do it was it? I don't know that it was the first one to shoot back to back, but I remember thinking at the time that it was unusual, right? Because when you think of the most uh, forty forty to forty five days of shooting on most films, something like that, yeah. and you can. Oh, I've been on. I've been on film. I've been on feature shoots that are a lot shorter than that. Yeah, fifteen days, and uh, actually a low budget. Lo- a lot of low budget films. Uh, I shot mine in seven. That's right. Well, uh, I heard. Uh, what was it? There was one of. Was it um, Robert Rodriguez? I was listening to the to, to the director's track on. I don't remember if it was the 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 remake of El Mar- no it was the sequel to El Mariachi well Desperado so did, Desperado is Desperado. in fact a remake and a sequel yes and he said that he ma- he made El Mariachi in something like seventeen days oh I mean, yeah it was just no, it, it was, was just and a for tiny, a tiny ridiculously days. small amount of money and the next one he gets all of this money from New Columbia I think and he had I think a shooting schedule of like 27 or 30 days or something like that. And he said he remembered at the time wondering to himself what he was going to do with all the extra time. Right. I was like, what am I going to do? I mean, I, I shot this I shot this one in, you know, half that time. And what are you going to do? <laughs> and I remember thinking about that. I'm like, yep, I know, I know that feeling because, you know, when we got done with Apology Dance after, mm-hmm. you know, seven days, I'm like, I wish I'd had another day. Yeah, but you know, you always start second guessing and looking at it, and you know, self critiquing and whatnot. But I don't know that I would. Oh, I don't know what I would have done with twice as much time. Well, I think the the <laughs> time on a film set is like movie on a film set. The more you have, the more you'll fill it up or use mm, it up. That's true. So I think that if you had two weeks, you would have found a way to use those two weeks. Yeah. And, the, and then get to the end of those the two weeks. The dream sequences would have gone the way I wanted them to, I guess. Yeah, you get to the end of those two weeks and you go, you know, I wish I had another day. Yeah. <laughs> because there's always that thing we want to get back with the reshoot. It's right. It's like, oh, I, and we, we, oh, pick up shots. Exactly. Oh, well, see, yeah. and that's the other thing. You know, oh, they're having reshoots. There must be a problem. Well, yeah. But so you get this, you get this sense of urgency with that sort of thing that you don't necessarily get in television because so much of television ends up well remember, remember when they pushed back um uh, westworld mm-hmm. it's like okay we've shot we shot this and they pushed it back and it's like everyone's like oh what yeah. does that mean well it means they pushed it back well star trek discovery yeah we're looking and, at it and at, at that delayed now. this is not this is not necessarily a bad thing and mm-hmm. losing people involved with a project doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing either sometimes that's just scheduling yeah you know the reason we waited so long for the third season of sherlock and why we don't know if we're going to get a fourth season of sherlock is because the two leads are doing pretty well for themselves <laughs> in their careers right now. And that makes, busy. that makes shooting 
three feature films because they're hour and a half episodes. That's yeah. a feature film. Yeah, shooting three feature films back to back is hard to schedule for an actor who has who suddenly Doctor Strange, yeah, uh, or Martin Freeman who is in a lot of different stuff right now. So well, I mean, they're both in Marvel. Oh yeah, but, projects. Yeah, but I think that I think that uh, uh, Martin Freeman is. He doesn't have the footprint that Benedict Cumberbatch has. Not yet. As a lead in the Marvel universe. I think right. he, and but he also has some more freedom to move around and, and work on some different things that way. So I think that you end up with a a sense of urgency that is not necessarily always conductive. That the 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 literary world you're able to take a step back and go, um, my contract says I'm gonna write, take a year to write this book. Yeah. You know, you worry you start worrying in the in the ninth month. Or the tenth month, or the eleventh month, and know? any time during that process, you could do interviews about oh, sure. any of that. Yeah, and you, you know, you'll, get a, and you'll give you'll give a hint about your new book. Where yeah. you sit there, I've got a new short story coming out that's that's tying into or or do like we did with our interview with David Gerald about you know the yeah. his his when's that when's that tour book coming out? I'm working <laughs> on it. When's that tour book coming out? I'm working on it. He's always working on it. Oh, hey, yeah. David Gerald, when's that tour book coming out? <laughs> Um. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we're always looking for those opportunities, though, to talk to oh, people and do those interviews. Because we're we fans. Love, yeah, we'd love to be out at events more often and do the live stuff. I think I think the live stuff is fun. We had a good time doing doing that out at Worldcon. Yeah, we'd like to do it again. Like to do it a lot. In Helsinki. Helsinki would be awesome. <laughs> Please send your donations to the Helsinki Travel Fund. Well, and if you want to be a sponsor of, of our live stream or any other thing, you know, advertising at sci-fi4me.com is the email. Um, and then the other thing, too, this programming note, we're going we're gonna to do a couple of things here to switch up a, a couple of things. We are going to invite you, the listener, to ask us questions. Ask us questions. Ten questions. Ten questions for Tim, ten questions for me, or five and five. Send us an email, h2o at sci-fi for me.com. You can ask us anything, yeah. genre. Uh, and we that's that's going to become you know, kind of you know, listener mailbag or, or sure. whatever. We'll we want to hear from you. Make that in. We would like to hear from you. We don't hear from you often enough. So uh, send us emails, ask us questions, You know, let us know what you think. And uh, also, I think... After episode 150, we're talking about changing up the schedule a little bit. So we're still in discussions on that. We'll let you know what's going on with that. And that's going to do it for us. You can leave us a comment on all our social media. We'll be back with another episode. <laughs> you just went completely dry uh, there, didn't well, you? It's the Vicodin. It's <laughs> yeah. the Vicodin. All right, that's going to do it for us here. My name is Jason Hunt. I am Timothy Hardy. Thanks very much for listening, folks. We will be back with another episode of H2O next week right here on Sci-Fi From Your Radio. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio, copyright 2017, by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio.